hundreds of pages, thousands of words, millions of letters. Welcome to the Kanja Book Club. The price of admission? What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Kanja Book Club, a weekly teeny podcast where we intentionally experience the Star Wars Expanded Universe together, one story at a time. I am one of your hosts, Timothy Guthrie, and I am here with a brand new enemy, Patrick McIntosh. Patrick, why are you my enemy? Because tomorrow, 1230 Eastern Standard Time, for the top of the table, not really, Manchester United, Liverpool, and this one goes back 150 years, it's pure hatred, and uh, Man United are going to win. Thank you. Uh, I, I dispute your reality and I insert my own and instead Manchester United will not win tomorrow. I'm going to go on the record, go out on a limb and say that Liverpool will win and we will soon be atop the table. Give it a couple weeks. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Not if anything to say about it. Bruno has. Yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> well, um, I, I guess I'm doing the show with two enemies now. I don't know. Adam Dyson is also here. Adam, do you have a a favorite in this particular matchup between Manchester United and Liverpool? To keep our feud going as strong as it has been going, you know, Jimmy Kimmel (laughs) to my Matt Damon, I'm 100% Uh behind Manchester United. 100%. And and, and you see, Patrick, that he, he thinks that he's the victim, but he uses the word enemy. Right? Like, we just do it as I'm a joke, to... and here's Timothy just throwing out the hatred. <laughs> right. I just I just want to go on the record here and say that, um, one, the audacity that you have to refer to yourself as Matt Damon um, is incredible. But, two, I'm not mad at being Jimmy Kimmel. I'm not. It's fine. We should have taken over the Utinis much like those two did at the Emmys when they brought their feud to the public eye. We missed out on a, on a great year. chance. <laughs> Next year, look, I'm I'm looking in our chat right now. We don't have any other staff in here, so I think we're going to be just fine. Yeah, yeah, right. You're the you're Watto, and I'm talking. You know. Yeah. So, and Patrick, yeah. it's just this and, nice guy, is just sitting in the middle of our feud, just going, "What's going on?" He's he's an innocent stormtrooper getting blown up on the Death Star. <laughs> you he, the he was innocent until you called him your enemy. So, right. yeah. Patrick, I didn't call it, you an enemy. You're my friend. Well, our real friends, <laughs> my real friends, are the people in the chat, those that are listening to us. You're just not friends because you give him money. Not these <laughs> janky, janky show hosts that I'm doing this thing with. I, I am so glad that you, you all are here. You just called janky. You see I the shit thrown at us, Adam? Oh. I did. You know what? I stand this by hurts. it. This hurts. <laughs> my chest. You'll, you'll get over it. Well, however you're listening to us, I'm so glad that you're here. We are live in Discord every Saturday, probably just after 4 p.m. Eastern. And our episodes hit the Utini Patreon feed every Tuesday morning around midnight. If you can't catch us live, send us a message if you'd like to get your thoughts on the air. We had a bunch of shout outs last week. Not quite as many this week because it seems like everyone's kind of keeping the, the spoilers down, trying to just enjoy the book and power through it. But uh, let us know what you think, man. We want to get you on here. Let's talk through some updates. Adam, let's hit you up first. What you got new in the Discord? 
Just a couple of new channels added to the new releases for 2021 based on the High Republic's latest media drop. So A Race to Crush Point Tower and... Oh, I've already forgotten. That's bad. Uh, Out of the Shadows. So we have two channels there um, for you guys to jump in. We have left links to the Utini book page for both of those stories. And if you're so inclined, there is an Amazon affiliate link. So just remember that every time you use that affiliate link, we get a few cents Corey's happier, which means the staff are happier because he yells at us less. <laughs> yes. Yes, he does. <laughs> he does yell at us less. Um, but when he does yell, it, it's in love, I think, somewhere. At least if, if last night's Patreon <laughs> uh, Patreon magic is anything to go by, he loves us deep down, even through anger. Um, which is a good transition, I think, to <laughs> last night we hosted an event for our patrons. Many of you listening would have been there, I imagine and i hope you were um it this if it tells you anything this is the title of it an inebriated night to remember with me myself and i jedi <laughs> uh, our very own fearless leader got absolutely uh, filled with joy and read i jedi in various forms and fashions um <laughs> on youtube last night and it is it it's something i can't even there is not an adequate way to put it into words. Um, you just need to watch it for yourself. Uh, join us on Patreon. You'll find the link there. Um, I'm hoping to have, I mean, it should live forever on YouTube, but I'm going to download a personal copy to rewatch every every year. Keep it on my hard drive. It'll be fine. It's great. <laughs> um, in other Patreon news, um, Conjure Book Club, the thing that you're listening to right now, is now free on Patreon. So if you're listening to us free in here, we decided to follow along the lines of um, The Living Force and Legends Look Back. You know, these shows are free to the public. We want to make sure that you can listen to it whenever you want to. So if you head on over to Patreon, even if you don't find yourself in a position where you can um, support us there, you can still follow our page, um, create an account, follow our page. And then whenever you log into your account, you'll see every free episode um, that's available to the public that you can listen to. So every Tuesday when I go to set the um, when I go to set it to publish, I will also try to remember sometime Tuesday morning to post the link here in this discord chat. Um, that way y'all can access it um, and it can live. Maybe Adam can pin it. I don't know. We haven't talked about it. We'll talk about it later. <laughs> but anyways, it is now free for you to listen to. Um, so very excited about that. Um, you can catch all of our annoying banter and football talk, Cheryl, whenever you want to. Um, let's talk about our book schedule. February, speaking of Cheryl, we will be reading Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. I am super excited for that. I just uh, got a hold of the book again and I'm about to start my reread. Um, this will be like the third or fourth time I've read it. Um, and it's been within like a year and a half. So, uh, love this book. So glad we're doing it and hope you stick around, go ahead and, uh, head on over, um, to the start here channel where I believe we've got it posted. If you don't own that yet, uh, go ahead and get it through our Amazon links. Um, and make sure you can get that in by February. We're starting that in three weeks. So fun. All right, boys. This is crazy. Um, this was a big set of chapters, 9 through 20. Um, that's a lot on our plate. So I've got a pretty decent summary here that I am going to go ahead and try to burn through. Um, but first, I want to ask, uh, Patrick, what did you think about this particular section? I think it did a great job of setting up the final third of this book. I mean, not that I read ahead or anything, 
insert wink here. <laughs> but no, I think it did a great job of also developing one of the Jedi that were in this novel. Mm-hmm. And they have it gave them a nice air of not not royalty, but a regalness and a there's a respect honor- there. Yeah, there's an honorific factor that they're not marred in the political machinations, even yeah. though they help out their they're noble. They're truly noble. Yeah, yeah. Adam, how about you? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this section. Uh, I did go a little bit ahead last week, so I read to about chapter 15. Yeah, about then, so it was nice to finish it off. And it had Load and Great Storm doing Load and Great Storm things, so I'm all... It's all that really matters. I'm here for it. I guess that's... Everything else is just just supporting, and there's Load and just doing his thing. (laughs) Yep. Cool. Well, speaking of Load and doing his thing, let's get into this summary. Remember, this is very heavy in the spoiler territory, so if you haven't read the book and you plan to do so soon, continue at your own risk. All right, here we go, boys. On Hetzel Prime, Bell Zedifar hops out of the side of his Nova, just like his master, and he straight up falls. No grace whatsoever. As he prepares to die, Loden gently uses the Force to slow his descent, joking that he'll throw him from a higher cliff for practice later. The compound they're going to is surrounded by hundreds of citizens trying to flee the system. The guards on top of the wall were ready for a fight. Loden speaks clearly with one testy guard, and they relent, letting the people through but then marauders on two speeders come barreling through the crowd, firing their weapons in hopes of stealing the ship. Then we switch to the fruited moon, just above it, 50 minutes to impact. Joss Adrian is freaking out. Saving the people on this piece of debris is impossible. But after a brief convo with his wife, Pika, they decide that the four space wizards might be able to do some magic stuff alongside the mag clamps built into the long beam. It's risky, but it's better than nothing. In interplanetary space, with 40 minutes till impact, four ships filled with thousands of people huddle close together for safety. Thinking about what comes next for them, a projectile appears from nowhere and destroys them all. Avar Chris, meanwhile, notices a missing note in the Song of the Force. In the chaos around her, she can't find it. On board the Republic Long Beam Aurora 9, en route to the recently damaged Solar Array, Captain Bright, Petty Officer Inaman, and Ensign Peoples work to stage a rescue attempt for seven workers on the Array. Splitting up, Bright finds two of the crew, but Inman informs him that the reactor is damaged and now unstable. They're running out of time. On Hetzel Prime, with 30 minutes to impact, Bell and Loden fight off the Marauders for life and the light. Speeders, blasters, and grenades are not enough to take these two down. The guards turn on the Jedi, but Loden steps in and deflects. Thinking about what to do next, Bell protects his master while Loden uses the Force to lift the guards into the air and then drops them right back down. The guards drop their weapons, The Jedi sense more trouble from Avar Chris. On board the Third Horizon, with 25 minutes to impact, Avar Chris knows something is wrong. Admiral Cronara informs Chancellor So that the worst might be over. Why would he say that? Avar senses more going on and discovers that a fragment is hovering near the R-class sun. Pulling some resources together from the ground, they discover it's liquid Tabana gas. And things couldn't get much worse. 20 minutes to impact, and the Adrens and the Jedi prepare to catch their incoming fragment above the fruited moon. They intend to lasso it in the Force, in an attempt to slow it down even a little bit. The effort was immense, but with the mag clamps and reverse thrusters doing their part too, it worked. You could feel the relief through the Force. Unfortunately, Avar Chris has need of the Jedi immediately. With 10 minutes to impact on the solar array, the crew members have been found, but the reactor isn't going to make it. Coolant has to be manually released into the reactor every couple of seconds to keep from disaster. 
Bright brings the droid down to replace Inaman so he can get to the ship, and then Bright senses another unconscious crew member near him. He switches places with the droid, and he gives his life to save the team. Back on the third horizon, with four minutes to impact, Admiral Cronara loads hundreds of people from Hetzel Prime onto the ship. It's time to get them out. Avar Chris has a mission on world that she needs to try. Connected to life and nature around her, the Force, she hears its loud song. She channels the rest of the Jedi, and they attempt to come together in the Force and push the gas bomb away from the sun with one touch. Her spinning lightsaber acting as an instrument, a note, and the song of the Force, she reaches out. All of the Jedi were the Force, and the Force was all of them. Locating the bomb, Avar communicates, we will move it, and some Jedi begin to lose consciousness from the strain. Those remaining grabbed the gas, and they moved it as one, just not far enough. Reaching out again, Avar senses Jedi from all over the galaxy willing to participate. We will move it, and more Jedi fall away, some even literally to death. Elzar Man joins in, and his effort does the job. They send the bomb out of the system. Thanks to Kevin Tarr's broadcast, the whole galaxy is going to know about it too. Some may have wanted the Jedi to fail, but this was a Republic that valued and celebrated life and those who preserved it. It was over. Except that it wasn't. Seven fragments from the Legacy Run appeared in the Abdallah system, further from the hyperspace lane, and, through, and though only one struck a world, it killed 20 million people. This was the first emergence. We interlude to Abdallah, where the people have fled with their important work away from the hellscape of their world. As they flee, they see this blue-gray swirl of vapor coming for them. A storm. Energy blasts from the storm paralyze the fleeing ships, and from within they see ugly, spiky, blocky, deadly, and cruel ships with three slashes painted on the sides, and an attachment to their engines that glowed with green fire. The Nile. Little known, but evil. They take what they want, and they destroy the rest. As they savagely rip ships apart, they make their way onto the lead vessel, and the captain, breathing in toxic gas released by the Nile, sees the masks of the monsters. He's not going to survive this. Heading over into part two, in Monument Plaza on Coruscant, Lena So, the Chancellor, rests her hand on Umate, a peak of a mountain range that stretched to the bottom of the planet itself. To So, the mountain meant choice. Her two Targans, large cats named Matari and Voru, walked everywhere with her as loyal companions with empathic abilities. In the green space surrounding the peak, she meets with four Jedi, Yariel Poof, Jorah Mali, Trandoshan Skir, and Avar Chris. Senator Izet Noor of Sereno, Jeffo Lorelia, who's the Transportation Secretary, and Admiral Cronara are also there. The Chancellor has decided to close some of the hyperspace lanes for now. There have been 15 total emergencies during this conversation, and this is for safety, even though food scarcity and such could be an issue. Everything must be figured out and cleaned up before the unveiling of Starlight Beacon to the galaxy. Representative of the Republic, it would encompass so much. Culture, design, medicine, everything. Considered one of So's great works that she hoped to be remembered by. This would be her finest. She charges the company around her to solve the problems and reflects on the meaning of Umate. Nothing is too big or strong to be humbled or made small, mountain or republic. On the third horizon, droids work to piece together what they can of the legacy run to see what remains to be found. They've only got about a third of the ship. Elzar Man is overseeing the efforts, but is soon joined by Avar, Senator Noor, Secretary Aurelia, and Kevin Tarr is also there. Tar thinks he knows how to find where and when the other emergencies, the emergencies will happen, but he needs thousands of droids. Also, they need to figure out what is wrong with hyperspace. Senator Noor recommends Avar getting in touch with the Santeca clan, a family with a history of exploring hyperspace. Then with a plan in place, they move out because they're running out of time.
That was a lot. This was a heavy set of chapters. Everything seemed to happen. Let's get right into it. Um, we've got really, I count five kind of basic things in the plot that's, that's going on. It's a lot to juggle. Okay, so we've got getting people off of Hetzel Prime. We've got uh, the legacy run debris rescue attempt going on. Uh, we have the solar array rescue attempt. We have the Tabana trouble the politics of it all and adam just added a sixth as in loden great storm which i'm lumping him into the first <laughs> um which of these um i guess adam i guess we can start with you knowing your answer is going to be loden great storm um which of these plot points were you most interested in, in reading about well naturally as this has become a stand show for loden i know we haven't talked about it but i've just thrown it out there to the public uh i yeah. really enjoyed the different aspects of the on planet and getting the off planet storyline big fan um and then as we ended the section as you said at point five the politics of it all the 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 trade minister the senators who are directly affected by the closure of uh, particular parsecs of space due to this this disaster that they still have no idea what what's causing it so for me um a little bit of both so getting off the planet and nearing the end of the section the politics cool patrick how about you what what was your what were you most interested in reading i was very much a big fan of the getting off the planet part especially the conflict of how loden great storm a man of action yeah, was uh, taking out the guards and the marauders. Mm. I think that had to be my favorite part in that middle section. Yeah, especially yeah. when they um in the audio book, I like how you can um you can hear them scream when he drops them. <laughs> That's funny. I, I have not started listening to it yet, but I can imagine that. It sounds great. <laughs> I love how in the audio books now they add like the little movie sound um effects in the back, so it's just like you hear like that. The, um, the, the Wilhelm screen. Yes. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <it's in. laughs> That's fantastic. I particularly loved, uh, obviously, Loden, Great Storm and Bell. Anytime the two of them are on page, I'm like, oh, this is this is important. I, I need to read this immediately uh, and probably reread it two or three times. Um, I also really loved the uh, legacy run debris rescue attempt. Uh, you know, we kind of got that start with Tayami and then, you know, the engineers on the long beam. Um, I, 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 I really loved that we get to see some of these non Jedi characters be heroes in their own ways. Um, I, th I thought that was particularly strong, especially for a book that's light of the Jedi, you know, in some ways, whether it's that they give them hope to keep going or whatnot. But like you see all these incredible non non special, you know, in uh, in the Jedi like way, still doing incredible feats. Um, I want to ask, uh, Patrick, we can start with you. We figured out, you know, last week we were like, what in the world are we counting down to? We figured out that we were counting down to this Tabana hitting the sun. Do you feel like that was an effective, like, twist? Did you see that coming? I did not. I honestly thought it was going to be, you know, um, like a piece of debris hitting, like, right in the middle of the, the city on Hetzel Prime. Mm-hmm. But, um... Also, I'm imagining that this gas canister is, like, enormous. Like, something the size... Uh, I don't know, like, three or four house... Like, 
good sized houses put together. Right. Like, yeah. I'm imagining this thing has to be like massive for it to set off like a chain reaction. Yeah, it's not like a trash can. It, it's not no. like something you put under your grill. <laughs> no. Like, this has to be like missile sized. Just yeah. send it right into the sun, you know, Death Star level explosion. Yep. Adam, how about you? Did you did did you find this to be effective? Yeah, I did. At the start, I didn't think it'd be the the Tabana canister, and I thought it'd be something just horrendously catastrophic, uh, which it could have been naturally. But yeah, it took me back, yeah. and yeah, I loved it. The idea of it, just this this small container with something so volatile hit something so large that could cause that much damage. We're talking like system wide destruction. Um, yeah, like everything would yeah, be gone. <laughs> like just boom, gone. Um, which, you know, yeah. we're not, or not even Republic citizens, but like we're, the amount of Jedi that were there at the time that would have been lost to the Order would have been just crippling, I think. So, yeah, great little addition to the story for me. And I guess, you know, still, still working with you directly here, do you think it's happenstance that that piece ended up there? Or do you think that somebody put it there? I have not gone past chapter 20. <laughs> so everything <laughs> I say, I, I'm the speculator of this book, it seems. And for me, it seems a little too easy that it, that, that particular object was going for that particular celestial body and that would then cause that much damage. Right. Um, now, for I've only touched the Nile a little bit. So thinking at the end when the company fleet is trying to get off, the boss has done the right thing. He's got his workers and their families off the planet and then they're attacked by the Nile. I'm sure we'll hit it at some point in the episode. So for me, they're the, that's the only time I've really seen the Nile. <clears throat> and mm-hmm. I, again, I could be wrong, but they don't seem to be distraction for distraction's sake. They raid, they take, and they move on. Um, yeah. So for me, if they were to put this Tabana canister into a sun, um, which is just wanted destruction, that means that they're because really they're space Vikings. Space Vikings take they, they yeah. destroy for no reason. Um, like for me, that's possibly that they they're just trying to scope out exactly what the Jedi can and they cannot do. So that's how yeah. I took that. That's a good event. point. So again. Destruction second, pillage first. So let's see what the enemy can stop us from doing. And yeah. I think that the Jedi, to stop the Tabana canister hitting the sun, have showed their hand a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and in a, a very powerful, powerful way. Um, transitioning away from, I guess, general plot points, um, the one new setting that we got um, in this particular section was Coruscant. Um, we have talked about all the others last week, you know, kind of the way that we felt about Hetzel Prime and the system and, um, you know, ships and all of that. But, you know, Patrick, how did it feel to see Coruscant in this particular light, um, to go to this mountain peak? Uh, how did that hit you? It honestly, it, it's a weird way of saying it, it felt like home. Cause okay. thinking back, like, um, you know, prequel timeline leading up to that's always the main most like storylines from this era. Well, prequel era and earlier isn't legends. They're always centralized around Coruscant. So it felt like, you know, coming back home almost. 
like this was a, a way to kind of ground our experience like oh this is this is star wars <laughs> yeah like it's back to plot point zero like it's, yeah like they always one thing i always love is they always have a way of making coruscant like the home mm. like no matter what happens we're coming back home yeah adam how about you how'd you feel about uh, seeing Coruscant in this new way, honestly, um, you know, a mountain that you mean there's nature on Coruscant. <laughs> how how did that hit you? It it was nice for me just to have a little bit of the environment or a natural environment within this industrial scope of Coruscant. Like I'm pretty sure you mate was mentioned in Legends as well. Maybe Plagueis could be wrong. I'm pretty sure it has been mentioned on the Legend side. So that's also nice to see that come over to canon as well. Um, and Charles Sewell, I know from reading some of his comics, is not does not shy away from linking the two. Yeah, so I was actually looking, um, jumping ahead a little bit to our connections kind of thing. Mm. It, it actually appeared in Clone Wars unnamed. Um, and then the mountain range that it's a part of, uh, the Minari mountain range, was mentioned in Heir to the Empire, um, which we're actually going to be reading next month. <laughs> so um, it it is cool to see, you know, even throughout the rest of this book, um, Charles Soule does a lot of things just like we, you know, we saw in Bloodline where Claudia Gray was referencing, you know, species that she first introduced in, you know, Leia, Princess of Alderaan and things like that. Charles does a great job of bringing in some of his own creation into this and touching other areas. So even if that's, you know, not specifically it, I mean, we get, you know, the Santeca clan shows up um, and like we know one of those uh, from the sequel trilogy. And it, it is cool to see all of this, uh, all of this connection work out really well. So and you brought up the mountain range itself. Um, I might have missed it in the audiobook, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure he only speaks of the one mountain. So just for me, that's even more symbolic that, you know, perhaps the range went and Linuso was speaking about that the buildings around the mountain we're trying to go green and have that particular design quality. So like there is the symbol of just one lone mountain standing. Yeah. Was, is, well, and, is something truly special. Yeah. And that's one of the things that she talks about, um, that Umate is, it, it has two meanings to her, right? It means choice because the most evil of empires that have been on Coruscant in the past and the most noble of democracies have chosen to let this one mountain stand, um, which is just a beautiful sentiment. But also it was part of a mountain range that no longer exists. So no matter whether you're a mountain or a republic, you know, things can be humbled. Things can be destroyed and brought down no matter how big you are. Um, and I thought that was really cool to uh, to get her perspective on that. So that's really all that I want to talk about setting wise, because I feel like we we touched everything else. Really, this section was uh, character heavy, um, character and plot heavy. I felt like we got a lot of definition to some of the relationships that were um, introduced in those first eight chapters. So I really want to get into it. You know, I don't necessarily have any, I guess, any pressing questions or anything like that. But I do want to just kind of mention the, the main ones that I thought about um, and that y'all are kind of adding on in here and then um, just pick one and, and kind of talk about why you liked these particular characters so much. Right. So I have Loden and Bill, um, which to me are very much they give off Kanan and Ezra vibes. Um, I can't remember who said that um, in the Light of the Jedi Discord chat. But as soon as I read it, I was like, that's 100 percent what this is. 
Joss and Pika Adrian, um, I absolutely love because they they bring out some levity and, and heart. Um, they feel like the everyman, um, which is great. We've got Captain Bright, Petty Officer Inman, Ensign Peoples, Avar Chris, Patrick. What you got? Why does um in the audiobook Josh and um Pika they sound like they're from like Space Chicago? Because they probably are. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they probably they, are. Like in the Adam knows in like the audiobook it just like we're, we're helping the Republic. We're from Chicago. We're fil- we're flying a starship. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think the accents just fit really well with their dynamic as well. Um, yeah, especially because they're dealing. Uh, the her name escapes me. There's a lot of names in this book, but the Duros Jedi Master, the one that just clearly just is just Tiami, Tiami, where she just she has this kind of attitude. <laughs> yeah, and like they're they're just yeah. really positive, and they're like with, they're just coming at her. And so I thought, yeah, that that accent is the perfect other side of the coin to Tiami's very much I sigh all the time accent and <laughs> just yeah. get this down. <laughs> he reminds me of um overfriendly Midwestern dad mm. that um like you meet him once, like you will meet him in a bar and he will drink you under the table. But it will be the most fun night that you've had with somebody's dad when they've drunk you under the table. So to bring like another franchise in they remind me of the I don't know We've got some video games players here, but from Mass Effect 2, there's a couple of engineers that you meet um, who are not a couple, probably should be, um, but they have this very much the same kind of bubbly personality. And so that, those two also reminded, I know we've skipped Loden and Bell, which for me is hard, but those two definitely remind me. Oh, no, like, I got it. Those two two characters, that character trope of two engineering-minded individuals working together that are quite yeah close on a personal level yeah i i just forget, forgot her name too but uh reminded me a little bit of the engineer from the firefly series um just yeah that kind of bubbly they're just there's a good old boy a good old girl you know that they, they are absolutely in love oh my god like <laughs> they they love each other to pieces um and they're really good at what they do and i i want to know more about them and i'm so glad that we're getting them in uh Yes, Kaylee. Thank you, Brea. Kaylee is the name of the Firefly engineer. Love her. I would die for her. Um, anyways, <laughs> besides the point. But I, I I do love that we have so many of these characters and that Charles Soul does write them so well. It's a lot to take on sometimes um, to keep up with them all. I know Alexander was kind of mentioning that it, it seems like the events of what's going on. I think that's the nature of this writing style kind of take precedent. You don't really get a whole lot of time with these characters, but it's because of the urgency of what's going on. Um, but I, I do love that we get little snippets of this. Um, so we also have Captain Bright, Petty Officer Inman, and Ensign Peoples. Oh, Patrick, what you got first? I know, I was just going off of what you were saying. I think he's done a great job of um, moving these characters' development along nicely with the struggle. Like, using chaos to, you know, shape them pretty quickly. Yeah. And I guess, I, you know, I will say, um, and Cad Ben, you know, mentioned it here in the chat, too, that you know, the, this first section is um, just prologue. It, it's all set up for the rest of the book, for the rest of this initiative to come. So, you know, some of these characters may or may not make it out alive. I mean, some of them didn't make it out alive in, in this section. Right. So um, they're. I'm not snitching. We all read it. 
Um, but they or listen to it. But there's you know, there's there's opportunity to um, to get to see some of these characters grow in, in really cool ways afterwards. So knowing this is going to set this whole initiative in motion is pretty wild and it's got to be pretty big. Um, I remember the first time, you know, I think, Adam, you mentioned it last week. The first time I, I watched Game of Thrones, I was like, I don't know how all these people's names sound the same. They all look the same. I don't know whose family is whose. This is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, it took three or four times to get through it to be like, ah, oh, this makes sense. Um, and that's a little bit similar here, I think. Um, let's see who else we got here. I loved the stuff with Bright and Inamon and Peoples on the Solar Array. You know, that kind of bravery again from a non-Jedi uh, doing work and, and trying to, to do what they can to save these people on the ship and the sacrifice that they're willing to go through. Um, Patrick, I saw you, I think, writing some stuff here on Avar Chris. Uh, what's, what do you love about, about, about our homegirl here? Her and Elzar Mand have a thing going on. Not that thing. they do. They got a thing going on. I am like, here for it. I ship it so hard. Like they be rustling Jedi temple sheets. Um, I can't remember. I think it was Re in the Light of the Jedi chat said that uh, maybe some of those um, uh, the romantic novels uh, from chapter I think it was chapter two or chapter three <laughs> that, that she was reading on the the Comscan ship or whatever. Yes. Um, they're, pro they're probably about Avar and Elzar. <laughs> It's just like a gossip, like a, um, a gossip column that's like, oh, they're based on real characters, but they change the names and everything to like protect the identity. <laughs> protect, yeah, protect the innocent. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm here for it. Give it to All me. Right. Now that they've said that, Adam, you think they had one about our boy Anakin, but they had to like change the whole name and everything to make it seem like uh, it wasn't him and not get him in trouble. When you know, in reality, everybody and their mom knew. Yeah. It's all over the hollow net, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone knows, but no one speaks. <laughs> he's, paparazzi. He's a, paparazzi. No, Anna, him Anakin on is like balcony. Anakin is a total pinup boy, right? Like he's in he's in every every middle school girl's you know bedroom wall um, with hearts circling it and everything, right? There's fan fiction about him out there. Yeah, he totally fell in love with a senator. Yeah, there, there's stuff like that out there. Gotta be. He's, he's like the Backstreet Boy of their time. Like I'm, he is. Yeah, you see that hair? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get because uh, I haven't read too much. I further, I do hope that that relationship does blossom in that particular way. I'm here for it. I want it. Give it to me. Just do it and keep JJ away from it. Just saying, you know, just let it happen organically <laughs> and just make it right. <laughs> but also Elzar man is too cool for school. I'm just going to throw that out there as well. He really is. Really is. He's like he, the cool he knows he's, he knows he's the stuff too. Like, well, when like, you, like you he just, walks in and he knows it. Like just the perfect example of just, Probably some cool man arrogance. He just like puts his hand over the senator's mouth and just yeah, <laughs> and the senator's shock and it's just happening. <laughs> like, what yeah. is this guy's deal? What is happening? <laughs> I'm I'm trying to imagine that happening to somebody in real life and just just getting their face smashed in. But honestly, it would be so surprising. Like, like what do you do? <laughs> yeah, loved loved seeing that. Loved seeing that. Um, I love getting more of Kevin Tarr. Um, I think Amy, you know, mentioned last week that he was probably one of uh, her favorites. Mm. Being able to 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 locate the satellites that were coming into the system, um, I loved 
that he's just this genius um, and able to to find a way to hook up all these nav droids and get everything together. Like he just mm-hmm. seems super on top of it. Patrick, you 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 got a face going on. <laughs> I, I was I just realized like I messed up the notes because we. We had, you know, we had a mix up of like, <laughs> like you said earlier, we couldn't, we forgot who was who because there's so many people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we left out Elsar. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, Adam puts a note, wrong person. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I think if, if like Elsar. Misses him. Patrick misses him. Adam, guys, that's, that's, that's the wrong guy. If, I think if we give like well, the geeky, if we if we were to give the geekiness of Kev, Kevin like Kevin Tar to Elzar man, then Elzar just be, just too much of a character. Like there's only so much cool you can be Elzar, and you need to share that. You need to share the love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk about Chancellor Lena. So we meet her. We meet her two really big kitties. Um, Patrick, what are your what are your opening thoughts on her, man? Uh, she's new. She seems powerful. What do you think? Bond villain before she became evil. Or no, wait. One of the cats has to die before her to become a Bond villain. Oh has, no! Because that's all I thought of was just like you know, um, like Doctor No just sitting in the chair, just scratching the cats behind their head as they like on the hollow projector, talking about how everything has gone as she's accorded to plan. Yeah. <laughs> There's a there's a pretty stark contrast from her compared to I don't know say Palpatine. Um, you do, do you do you think she's worth you know kind of the the love and admiration so far that seems to to be given to this this Republic? Yeah, she actually seems like somebody who cares about the people she was put in charge of, and she actually does her due diligence when looking at problems and situations. Also, she's level-headed and she's not a secret Sith Lord that we know of. So, you know, that's like what four pluses right there. Yeah. So right now that's better than any leadership we've seen. So mm-hmm. ne- next to Mon Mothma, Mon Mothma's my girl. Don't mess with her. Adam, how do you feel about, about Chancellor? So, um, I'm personally interested to see where she goes next. There's a there's got to be a lot of background to her that I, I need to know. But what do you think? I would like to see a space kitty take down a speeder. That's what I want to yeah. see. Oh uh, my after, god! Uh, after after the chancellor describes that they possibly have that ability, I now really really need to to read about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> what if they're like those um those Nexu cats from episode two? From the arena, what if they're just like tame version of that, just like on some platinum leash in her office? That would be the most baller thing ever. Automatically, <laughs> she's getting a second turn. Also, the fact that they have like this low latency empathic ability, um, I thought was really cool um, and really like like that. If if they're a predator species, right, and, and they have that, that means before they're going to pounce on that speeder, they're going to feel a little bit bad about the fact that they're about to mess up some people, but they're going to do it anyways. Like, like that's that's what I'm kind of sensing is going to happen. <laughs> they're going to feel bad, though, depending on how hungry they are. Are they? 
That's true. And and so's monologue like, speaks about it too. Like they are incredibly loyal that and as a politician, that's just what she's attracted to. Like they just yeah. their ears immediately pick up when the senator walks a little too close to her in a an aggressive manner. Like they are ready to just rip that guy apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I mean let, let's be honest, he's a skis bag on his own. <laughs> and, yeah. I just I kind of feel it. And, and, and the fact he's yeah. from Sereno too, yeah, like, which, come on. And it's like, and because she seems like a very, like, she's very strong. She's very down the line, very determined. And we haven't, like, we've seen a tiny bit, especially with everything happening in the system, but she doesn't seem, we haven't seen a weakness in her yet. There hasn't been an emotional break, which I think, mm. like, if, like, if one of the space kitties was to, to be injured or die yeah. protecting her, then we would see a vulnerable Lena. So then, so yeah. I think that she mentally relies on these two in like a lot as not just for physical protection as well, but they are her rocks, I think. And yeah, I think at some point we may again, it might've happened. I don't know. You guys have read it looking at you, but like if a space kitty was to go that we would see a, a vulnerable Lena. So, yeah, it, it is really interesting. And this isn't necessarily a, a spoiler either way, I guess. But I, you bring up a good point of like we haven't seen a, uh, a, a, a wounded pride. We haven't seen any kind of weakness from her yet. Um, and that's like I, I want to know if there's more there. I, I want to see a story of, of what that looks like. Which is something we also didn't see with Palpatine. And we didn't That's really fair, see yeah. it with Valor, and the only time we really saw it with Valor, when he was just he just kind of collapsed into his seat, but that wasn't yeah, it wasn't emotionally vulnerable. Like just oh crap, he just I I, I finished. I'm I lost. useless, <laughs> and everyone knows, and now everyone knows I'm useless. So I'm out. Cool, I'm retired. It was that kind of uh, I give up. Yeah, but I think that we could yeah see the human side of it, like in quote, like that side of human nature with with Lena. So we're emotionally vulnerable yeah well that's interesting she's a person like there's it has to happen at some point yeah well and it it's interesting the way that she has built this republic is that i mean it is it's not necessarily going to fall because of her um i mean she didn't really do anything except for mobilize this team you know of Hmm. what seven eight people to say i give you the full bank do what you need to do to stop this from happening Hmm. and if it had a fa- if it had failed, then yeah, this would have been on her. She probably would have collapsed her in chair, kind of thing. But she's she has enough trust, it seems, and enough uh, command of respect that people are going to do the the general things that she asks them to do. And her republic that she built is going to protect her, it mm. seems, um, in some ways. This trust that you know we are all the republic that carries some weight, um, and it gives some responsibility to everyone in a way that. Um, we definitely didn't see in the timeline that we're used to, I think. Yeah. I, uh, no, you, you can tell they've bought into it. Like it, yeah. it gives them a sense of pride and a sense of honor and duty. Yeah. Like, like they really, they yeah. really believe it. Yeah. She, yeah. She, I think it just it speaks volumes of her as a leader where you've seen real world regimes. Everyone follows, everyone goes down the line, but it's usually through fear. It's usually through, oh, I can now blame someone for the mistakes that I made in my life kind of thing. But, like, it seems that her way of doing it is everyone is involved. Everyone is – we're all going for the common goal, and the common goal is just to have a good life. <laughs> yeah. 
So and yeah. we are all the republic. Exactly. Make America great. Again. <laughs> they are not evil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And no. like she knows that she has her strengths and she has her weaknesses. Clearly, her strength is to keep this thing going, is to keep everyone together. Her strength isn't hunting down the reason why this is happening. So she has that. Also, has the ability to not micromanage. She can take a step back. And go. You guys do it. Here's your deadline. I'm out. <laughs> I mean, yeah. also, if you have Jedi work in your case, it's, I feel like it's pretty easy to mm, just let them handle it and call it a night. And like going back to Ava, oh, no, going back to Ava, Chris is that I, I love the. There's clearly a relationship between the two. You know, she goes up to her, she grabs her hand with both her hands, and I think there's a perhaps a personal relationship between the two that would be really great to um, delve into a little bit, just like a, a friendship. Not the Anakin and Palpatine friendship that we're used to. Right. Yeah. Um, but like an actual friendship, not a friendship yeah. built on predatory behavior, but on, you know, two, two strong individuals coming together and, mm. and just moving on from there. Yeah. I mean, that, that's built on a, on a mutual respect. Exactly. I mean, we saw that with, a- with Avar and Admiral uh, Krenara, you know, on the third horizon in the first set of, of mm. chapters of like, they they are just mutually working together for the benefit of everybody exactly um and they will let each other step aside or you know take over whenever they feel like it's time whenever their roles are more suited and to have that kind of open dialogue and communication um i would love to see that more mm. and i'm glad that we're getting that here for sure so yeah i would i'd would love to get more of that relationship let's talk about people who don't communicate very well um if at all and are absolutely <laughs> horrific the Nile, um, Patrick, man, what did what did you think of this opening of the Nile without getting into um, spoilers? Because we only got really this one chapter where they're just ripping ships apart and just going ham. What do you think? Oh, like you said earlier, space Vikings. Yeah, space <laughs> Vikings. Now, I'm I'm a little bit outside of legends in a sense. Um, I have not. Uh, not read anything about the Yuuzhan Vong or anything like that, but I, I saw some people trying to draw some parallels. Do you think that there's anything there? No, no with Yuuzhan Vong, it was a religious, uh, more of a religious um, driven, like a theocratic driven um, order. And there was okay. organization hierarchy. Like there was, there was a well-established order within it. Mm-hmm. Mm. This is just a, just Marauder Band, man. Just a Marauder band on steroids and Coke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what was you, what did you think about their introduction? I mean, there's this cloud of this blue gray kind of vapor and then just this lightning looking stuff coming out of it. And then all of a sudden there's hundreds of ships. So like, what did that hit you? It did. Uh, like, like, as we know, I haven't gone any further than this, this is the only Nile that I've read. And for me, I haven't been mm-hmm. as excited for a Star Wars villain as this excited as I am in a little while. You said it, Pat, like space Vikings, like this language, like shit's about to get real. Like we're not talking yeah. taking over the galaxy for, you know, the sake of taking over the galaxy and having power for the sake of having power. Like they just, they want something and they just take it and then they're gone. So yeah, I don't think we've really seen that, that before, like they are, you can't they're not like pirates or privateers they're beyond that like there's something deeper here um and just like the fear of the crew of the commercial crew like they're all all go get the weapons he goes to open the door and the door blows up 
like or they're just or when they were sitting there and they were waiting they knew they were going to get boarded it just reminded me of like the, that show trope of you know you watch a zombie program and they're all hiding in the room and they know the zombies are coming and there's that fear nothing you can do right they're coming you just wait it out you know you look at fellowship of the ring they're all in balan's tomb and they know they're coming and as and us as viewers like we fear that that moment they open that door and i felt the same kind of fear in this scenario as as a spectator yeah well and in this uh in this interlude where they're introduced it seems like they've only been a thing for a, a handful of months like like barely a year maybe um they just kind of up and appeared on the map started ravaging homes and you know tearing people apart and taking what they want killing everything destroying everything in their path um really wild and like don't get me wrong like they're horrendous and they are villains and they are there is an evil side to them but you know we've all watched probably a lot of us have watched the program on history channel of vikings where this like one of their sole purposes was to raid and then we saw the family side and the personal side of these characters so like i see them as villains i want them to get their comeuppance i need to see it but i also want to know more about them so just yeah and just from the 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 pre-release media from the chapter that i've read like they're there for a reason something has Uh like really in a way has brought all these different species together there's a reason for it, and I want to know that reason. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that's one of the interesting things, too, is I think it was Yariel Poof, uh, when talking with um, the Chancellor, you know, mentioned that it doesn't seem like there's whatever the threat is, whatever caused the, the Legacy Run disaster, probably wasn't a Force user, probably didn't have anything kind of Sith-minded or anything like that. Um, and so to see something that is not... Ooh, there's a scary dark side person in the background, you know, controlling things and manipulating things. That's very different from what I have read in Star Wars. That's very different from the timeline that, you know, the main, I guess, canon timeline that we've been in and and what we've seen, the more prevalent stuff in Legends, I guess. Um, you know, this is something unlike uh the force. And to see something like that that still scares people and scares the Jedi in some ways. Um, that are able to do some really crazy things. Uh, it's it's really encouraging to see, and I'm really excited about it. Patrick? It's almost like the Old Republic with the Mandalorians, but I think there's, again, there's less of a honor and order side with the Nile than there is mm. with the Mandalorians. And um, yeah, this is, like you're saying, this is the first time that we don't have the Sith Master in the background pulling strings and playing chess with everybody and, you know, just uh, manipulating and using yeah. people for their own personal gain. Which, to be fair, this is book one, and yeah. we know that they're out there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. But, like, yeah. you, you read about them and you're like, part of me, like, already, so I don't really need the Sith. Like, right now, the evil isn't this premeditated yeah. planning and manipulation like mm-hmm. the evil right now is primordial chaos they're just chaos you don't know when they're going to yeah. strike you don't know where they are you don't know what their end game is like it's quite literally just chaos for and the they sake fight dirty yeah and like because i don't know like for me it's just chaos and there's just 
you, you don't know what's going to come next. And for me, that's what a villain, like it just a, a villain should be without yeah. looking into I mean, the, the, like we haven't even, like I said, for me, I need to know the villain. I need to know the whys. I need to know how they got there in the first place. Um, and I haven't yeah. even got that. And I'm excited by this group. Yeah, I am kind of surprised it took us so long to get here, but I think it was worth it. Um, I mean, to to get the primary villain halfway through the book, I mean, that's pretty bold because it's usually something that's set up, you know, towards the beginning of any you know television series you watch, any movie you watch, like you see the villain in the first five minutes um, in some way, shape or form. And to wait till half the book to get it, it's really, really effective here. Um, and, you know, Cad Ben mentions it, it's just cool. I mean, they're, they're just flipping around these, you know, Republic ships and uh, attaching cables to them and then ripping them apart. And just watching people fly out like they are brutal. Um, They just love destroying. And like Brea mentioned, the the Reavers from Firefly. I mean, very much the same thing. They just want to see stuff burn. It's like we don't even like remember, like we even at Chapter 20, we don't know if it was the Nile. Like we suspect the Nile, you know, we've talked about the Nile sending the Tabanagas at the start just to scope out what the Jedi and the Defense Coalition were capable of doing. That's a like that's a could be, but like the story sure. is this: they saw chaos that wasn't caused yeah. by them. They just came in, they took advantage of it, and then they took their crap yeah. and then they left. Like that's all. That's all we know at the end of chapter twenty. Even though we suspect that there is more to their involvement than simply turning up at the right time and taking advantage of fleeing people. Yeah, for sure. Um, Really, to close us out, I just kind of want to talk about some uh, connections, Easter eggs, some closing thoughts that I, you know, kind of found and, and we can we can talk about them for a little bit. Um, I mentioned, you know, Umate being seen in the Clone Wars in the mountain range, uh, Minari, which is in uh, Heir to the Empire. I thought that was really cool. Um, Chandar's Folly, uh, which is um, when Tayami is thinking about how they're going to slow the ship down uh, with the mag clamps and everything like that. She's like, oh, yeah, I, I was at Chandar's Folly once and I saw this rodeo and there's this thing called a lasso. And, you know, we're going to lasso the ship. Uh, Chandar's Folly actually made an appearance in Charles Soule's Darth Vader run. Uh, it's the planet where Tarkin tries to hunt him down in it. Um, I thought that was really cool. It's like a one issue kind of thing that we see uh, or a couple issues. And it was cool to to get that brought back in here. Um, A lot of connections to the force, like more of them in in different perspectives. Right. We got um, a sea from Elzar Man. It's this deep, never ending ocean. Um, uh, Buryaga Agaberry, my absolute favorite uh, character in this entire book, you know, sees it as a tree. Um, another character sees it as gears and as part of this, you know, magnificent machine. It's fire. It's wind. Um, I love that Yoda got his first shout out here. Um, just the little pure radiating ball of light that he is that, you know, uh, gets past the crude matter um, that, you know, that's a throwback, obviously, to Empire. Um, love that, Adam. You're just worth uh, something I thought about when they were describing as Yoda as pure light is that you know Yoda gets a bit of slack these days for the way that he yeah. you know, presented himself through the prequels and not so much the original, but just kind of maybe one of the catalysts for the the fall of the Jedi is that he he is being described now as like pure light, which mm-hmm. means that already like I read that and I was like, oh, you trying to tell me something here, Charles? Like he like he's already leaning this all the way to one side which perhaps kind of as he grows up in the 200 plus years between then and the fall is that 
that belief that he is pure light and is not really willing to bend just becomes more concrete, right? Like I thought, yeah. I read that and I was like, ooh, uh, all right, Charles, we need to talk about this on Twitter. <laughs> well, and without, yeah, without spoiling anything too, um, you know, I think, I hope that we get more of him in the rest of this book. Um, and also I know that he's going to be a prominent character in um, the, uh, rep, um, oh, Adventures comic series mm. uh, by Daniel Jose Older um, and getting to see him with his younglings uh, going through all that. Like, I, I do hope that we get to see some of this, this folly of his mind and, and you know, how he's he's going to be the greatest of the Jedi at some point. But there's going his his arrogance is going to probably shine through, especially like, now that he's in peak form. <laughs> like apart from a couple of Jedi who clearly don't like either in the High Republic or you've got like the bosses of the world in the future. Like there's no, he has access to the, the young ones and the young ones through the nurturing will tend to lean towards the light as they should, but they're not willing to bend and accept balance and perhaps the emotional side and the darkness of that can come with, which is just normal. That's existence. Um, so definitely really loved that link. Yeah. And it, it matters who your teachers are, <laughs> the the people that you yeah. look up to, you know, really set a precedent for and are very integral into who you become. Yeah. Um, and that's that's going to say something about the Jedi that we're going to see, you know, in the timeline that, that we're in. If, if Yoda has this um, not necessarily a false idea, but if he just leans too much into one particular side, uh, how that's going to infiltrate the rest of the order in a way. I think the most damning thing on him um, especially like prequel era would be he denied his humanity so much mm -hmm. with like the emotions like you were saying Adam that he he was so light he was so much in the light that he refused to allow the emotions or any sort of you know sentient feelings or thoughts like come around and around him yeah the the idea of of being the thing was more important almost than just being the thing um like he was never honest with himself until there towards the end of the of the clone wars series right like he never wanted to recognize oh yeah this is my weakness he never wanted to get there and i think that it comes with just living for that long like he may have yeah he may have leaned into the right, like into the darkness, into balance, maybe as he was young, but as he as you grow up, you just just one foot ahead of the other, and he just gets into this routine, and then that routine affects the way that he thinks, and the way that he thinks, and affects everyone below him, and then eventually he's made grandmaster. He has that ability to nurture the whole order, and if he's this ball of light who's not willing to bend, then eventually there's going to be too much weight, and it snaps what it is shout out to to also yariel poof uh for just being on the council this freaking long man like <laughs> a 200 plus year stint on the council like that's got to be a record yeah <laughs> that a boy <laughs> like Yoda's gonna be there Yoda. soon. <laughs> yeah. yeah like like goodness gracious man alive my head canon um, my head canon is that he wanted to be grandmaster and perhaps he was on the council longer and he's just 
he's forever annoyed with Yoda. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. It's not worth putting up with this trash. <laughs> they have they have old man fights. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because at this time, Yoda's still 650. At least 650 yeah. to 700. Right. Oh, God, he's, so he's still crotchety. We didn't go far yeah. back enough for him to be not crotchety. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, 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 we need to go back another 600 or so years so we can watch him, uh, you know, steal some eggs from some frog mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. No, but uh, let's talk about just briefly uh, this mind meld with Avar Chris, man. Um, th- chapter 17 was probably one of the most poignant chapters I think I've read in a Star Wars book. Um, watching her, you know, fling her lightsaber, um, it's spinning in the air in front of her, gets this tone, she tunes into the force, and then she tries to connect with every Jedi around in the system to move the Tabana gas. Um, that was absolutely beautifully written. And Mm. then to see the Jedi just slowly fall away into unconsciousness, um, and then when it fails the first time and they have to do it again. And there's people coming in all the way from Coruscant, like all these other planet systems. She is that powerful in the force and the force is that connected, um, that they can all do that. I mean, I know some people had some problems with Luke's force projection in the last Jedi. I know that there were some weird things about, you know, some of the dyad conversations and, you know, how is it that, um, you know, that Ben and Ray can talk to each other through, you know, uh, for Skype like this. What's happening here is a whole nother level. Um, and I thought that was one of the most powerful scenes in the entire book, um, just to see these, you know, we will move it. And then another Jedi falls. Adam. Yeah, well, like we've talked about the characters previously, but I think like the general shout out for the first 20 chapters is the force itself as. Yeah, as this cosmic entity like from the tabana gas to the link to the the six the three the six jedi who stopped the passenger cabin um all these different things that they've done even just like falling (laughs) probably from the stratosphere and loading just has the ability to not only stop himself but stop his padawan like the force for me was the mvp of this story so far like just it's just Charles Sewell has just gone, oh, you know, I watched The Last Jedi. I like The Last Jedi. Let's just go. Let's just do it. And yeah, done. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is it not being used, um, you know, not being. Uh, uh, what's the word that I'm thinking of? Um, it, it's not being manipulated. It just is. It's just doing yeah. its own work yeah. here, I think. Like it's it it's is truly flowing through. It's them. like all those. Yeah. It's. You know, it's it's all those Mary Sue arguments that just make us all roll our eyes in, in just incredible distaste is, you know, it's not – stop banging the character. It's the Force. The Force is, is going through these characters. The Force is choosing what it can and can't do with these characters. If they want to go all the way to superhero, Superman level, it, it, it does it. it. It awakens and it does it. It uses that character as a conduit for what it needs to do cosmically. Yeah. That's and uh, that 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 matters too. If we have this unsuspecting, you know, villain out in the shadows that can manipulate hyperspace mm. and seems to be able to manipulate the force in some way, shape, or form, mm. like let's make the force a primary character here. Let's do that. And let's, and, let's be bold with that. And I think that's what Charles has done. Is that we're starting to see that the force will 
turn its volume up and down depending on what it needs to do. Like we see, we yeah. see genuine superhero antics in the Clone Wars to the more the political side of the prequels, where we don't we're not really seeing this because perhaps it wasn't needed. It's not needed at the time. We're meant to be at peace. We're dealing more yeah. with the manipulations of the Sith in the background. We don't need superheroes of the High Republic in the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars hit the Jedi involved. I need to I need to protect my conduits. I will. You know, it just becomes easier for them to utilize their abilities. It's it like you know, really? many, many creations. I mean, like they've all said it. That it is a character in itself. It chooses what it wants to do. Yep. And now it's, it's been a long time coming where someone has written the Force as a character like Charles Soule has done mm. here. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm trying to read yeah, yeah uh, alexander's what? quote there so that it's exactly you know elzar believed it was important to remind people that no matter how important they thought they were they were in fact just people yeah <laughs> like you know we saw yeah. luke luke shut himself off of the force so that you have the ability to keep it at bay but if you let it in you don't make that use like the, the force will work through you it will, it will it's around you it will penetrate you. you have the ability to turn it off but if you if you yeah. you turn it on, then you're fair game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a fantastic quote. Glad you threw that in here. Uh, that was one of the things that I wanted to try to introduce this week, and then I forgot to put a quote down myself for uh, you know kind of favorite quote of the of this section. I'm definitely gonna put that one there in the list. I will say one of my favorite moments from this whole section was when uh, Avar decided that the best way to win an argument is just to run away from it. Um, <laughs> and that is the kind of energy that I'm going into 2021 with. Um, I don't have time to to get into silly, petty stuff. Like if you got an issue, if we got something, we need, no, I'm done. Like I'm just going to turn and walk away, you know, hop off the hop off the ship. I don't need to be here for this. I've got more important things than petty petty squabbles. So, and I've got a I got a big squabble with 2020 in general. So, um, the other the last thing that I really wanted to mention was that we got to see the Santeca family mentioned. Um, obviously, they're going to be more important here in the next little bit. Thought it was really cool that we got to see their their family has a history of exploring and hyperspace. They're loaded, and mm. they're loaded. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, did y'all connect? Um... Did anyone else kick? Can I use words? I can do it. Did anyone else catch the connection to the prequels with the Naboo Lake House? Uh, which is coming up soon. I'll go back into my turtle shell now. <laughs> I, I think it's also very important. Like, there's been discussions of, of hyperspace and how exactly it works at a scientific level that perhaps it's, you know, it's another aspect of the force and, again, at that cosmic level. And then we see that the Santeca family is involved like directly with how hyperspace works. And then we see and the descendant of that family basically leading the Church of the Force, basically. It's like, we like again, I haven't read it, but I would like, am I going to see that kind of link a little bit more pronounced? Well, there's some there's some really cool stuff, even that we've already gotten in canon, mm. right? Of in the comics, we've got Lor Santeca and Luke, and you know Ben going to Elfrona, which is a place that we're going to see coming up here in the next handful of chapters, um, the back half of this book, which we already loosely know about from from 
publications and stuff, not spoiling anything like this is the, the planet that's on the, the new special edition cover kind of stuff. Like we've seen this planet before already. Charles Soule has already given it to us in the Rise of Color Ren comic in some ways. And we got to see Laura Santeca and Luke and Ben go on this adventure and, and talked about hyperspace. And then, um, you know, the fact that uh, Laura is probably the one that gave Luke the coordinates of Octo. Um, you know, Luke goes to find the the map to it in the Battlefront 2 campaign. And then we see it in The Last Jedi in his little cave set up like to know that there's this. I don't know. It seems like this deep family history that still goes all the way through to the sequel trilogy. There's, those kind of connections are so fun. Yeah, it's like that's what the, the sequels and the expanded universe surrounding the sequels. So the comics that we've read is like when when I see Santeca, I think Force. I think that they're somehow yeah. involved in the Force no matter where they sit in the timeline. Yeah, it's really, really cool stuff. Uh, you got a favorite moment, Adam? from this from this section what, what what were you most excited to to cover what do you hope we get more of going forward uh so from like the smallest things just the scene as you we spoke you spoke about it at the start uh, where everything's happening around bell and then all of a sudden it just stops because load and great storms just clearly had enough and he just lifts up all of the insurrectionists and the terrorists and he's like nope and he just drops them done <laughs> i just thought yeah. that, that just it's just all this chaos was just immediately turned off by loden because loden is great loden forever uh like from there i loved the the elza ava dynamic like i would i would love to see that blossom into something further um which will then affect what you know how ava thinks the jedi and the dogmatic nature of the jedi and on a on like a personal and emotional level and the Nile, just the introduction. I was like, "Ooh, ooh, these guys are not playing around." Uh, I have same sentiment from me for sure on all of that. Yeah, <laughs> Patrick, what do you? What was your favorite section? What are you most looking forward to? Give me more Load and Great Storm because he is a baller. Love that man. <laughs> also, my favorite part is when he says oh i'm gonna have to throw him off something higher next time yes <laughs> yes it's it's those conversations that that drew me to the the kane and ezra mm. you know conversation you know they can they can be playfully bantering one minute and then the very next they draw their lightsabers because they know they're about to have to mow down some speeders but at the same time they're also like well that wasn't graceful at all i'm gonna have to push you off something higher next time like 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 what? Yeah, like <laughs> love it. I think that link that you found is perfect. Like I love Anakin, as we all know. Like it's not a secret, but like in terms of the master apprentice relationship, there's clearly some problems there that weren't fixed. But you look at Ezra and Kanan. Is that yes? Kanan's new to it. He's just figuring it out. But there's still it's still a good relationship. Like I would prefer. Like from what I see in the media, I would actually personally want Kanan as my master vice. You know, even Obi-Wan, because Kanan just has that either, like, older brother. It's like more of a just straight-up older brother teacher. Yeah. And, like, it's probably why, you know, so many of us love Loden so much because he's like, oh, I just saved your life. I'm just going to throw you off something higher next time. See how we go. <laughs> yeah, you you need to do better. Maybe you just need more time to fall to your death. And Bell's like, in, uh. <laughs> in, o in Obi-Wan's defense... 
he did have the more emotionally unstable <laughs> yeah. students. It's hard, man. The man needed therapy <laughs> and some anxiety medicine. We know what you do. Yeah. You're, just, you're just trying to keep Charles happy for when he listens to this episode. <laughs> Don't I mean, I, I can't fault you for that. Uh, I, I, I do mean, want to shout out here. It's not can, his fault can, the kid needed Zoloft. Yeah. <laughs> I... Uh, I do want to shout out Cad Ben here. Um, yes, I do hope that Avar and Elzar do find a way to uh, retire to a lake house together. I think I think they need that. I think we need that if, we, if we're being honest. Uh, like the third, I think we all need like, that. like again, like by the third phase, it's like Elzar's just. There's a few. There's a few characters in in the Jedi. I think that I think would fit perfectly into the Lost Twenty, right? Who are already kind of half there. Ooh, you know what ooh. I mean? Like there is, you know, you got yes. that again. I forgot her name, but the master who just takes no garbage in the council. It's like she just tells it how it is because she sees the flaws. Yeah. And I think that Elzar kind of fits that mold a little bit as well, where he's like, he sees the force as this. Again, like at a, at a cosmic level, like I see him being one of the first to go, and then Man. you know because of that relationship. Avas because he's leaving and she then starts it still starts to fall into place for her and like that could be a catalyst for her to realize and go you know what like I could be happy doing my That's own bold. thing and 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 being with the person that I they will fall in love calling it but like if he was if he was to finally leave because he's too cool for school and then she goes across with him is this is this how this lost twenty starts? Or start? Or there's probably a few already, but is this how it really builds up? You you say Elzar may be too cool for school. Alexander says Elzar may be something like a uh, a yellow <laughs> Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, thousand percent. Yeah, where he like he he goes, and then that's the catalyst for Avar to finally realize and go. Well, am I am I really mm. happy? Interesting. You're Interesting. Welcome. <laughs> I'm, here. I'm here for it anyway. Give me, give me a good story. I'm in it either way. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we've got for today, everybody. Thank y'all so much for joining. Um, however you're listening to us, we're glad to have you with us. Um, we'll be back next week to talk through Light of the Jedi, chapters 21 through 32. In the meantime, you can find me, Timothy, on Twitter and Discord at underscore T Guthrie. Adam is at DarkstarAU and Patrick's on Discord at Mac11. Uh, go Liverpool. If you want to help support the show, head on over to teeny.com, look up Light of the Jedi, click the Amazon link on the profile. It'll keep us on the air and help us produce some more awesome content. You'll find links to Light of the Jedi and February's book, Heir to the Empire, in the episode description and the Start Here channel and Discord. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon or pick up some merch at teeny.com forward slash merch. Shout out to Jose for his um, Great Disaster 232 shirt. It's incredible. Special thank you to Sally and Chris Eilerson, Kyle Hickman, Elizabeth Cloutier, and Freddie C. on our Alliance High Command Patreon tier, and Cheryl Bell, Patrick Ortiz, and Carl Sander on our Jedi High Council tier for their amazing support. Thank you to my enemies, Adam and Patrick, for podcasting with me today. May the Force be with you, everyone, and remember, we are all the Republic.